Excuses and sins with man that work iniquity, and I will not communicate with the choicest of them. The just man shall correct me in mercy and shall reprove me, but let not the oil of the sinner anoint my head. For my prayer also shall still be against the things with which they are well pleased. Their judges falling upon the rock have been swallowed up. They shall hear my words, for they are sweet, as when the thickness of the earth is broken up upon the ground. Their bones are scattered by the sign of hell. But to thee, O Lord, Lord, are mine eyes. In thee have I put my trust. Take not away my soul. Keep me from the snare which they have laid for me, and the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I alone escape. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. When I poured out my supplication before him, I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they secretly laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no one that would know me. Refuge failed me, no one cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. My persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall wait for me until thou recompense me. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. 
words. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand but with thee there is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared. Because of thy name have I waited for thee, O Lord. My soul hath waited upon thy word. My soul hath hoped in the Lord. From the morning watch until night, from the morning watch let Israel trust in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will deliver Israel from all his iniquities. Praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye peoples. For his mercy is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of
Hi there, thanks for listening to, like I said, Thoughts, Sounds, and Creative Miscellany. I am recording live on the eve of the Nativity, and I've just been listening to a few things on YouTube that was titled Oh Lord I Have Cried and there's a, a link to that song on YouTube here I'm also going to read a sermon on the entry of the Mother of God into the temple from St. Gregory Palamas, Archbishop Bishop of Thessalonica. If a tree is known by its fruit, and a good tree bears good fruit, then is not the mother of goodness itself, she who bore the eternal beauty incomparably more excellent than every good, whether in this world or the world above. Therefore, the co-eternal and identical image of goodness, pre-eternal, transcending all being, he who is the pre-existing good word of the Father, moved by his unutterable love for mankind, and compassion for us, put on our image, that he might reclaim for himself our nature, which had been dragged down to uttermost Hades, so as to renew this corrupted nature, and raise it to the heights of heaven. For this purpose he had to assume a flesh that was both new and ours, that he might refashion us from out of ourselves, now he finds a handmaiden perfectly suited to these needs, the supplier of her own sullied nature, the ever-virgin now hymned by us, and whose miraculous entrance into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, we now celebrate. God predestined her before the ages for the salvation and reclaiming of our kind. She was chosen, not just from the crowd, but from the ranks of the chosen of all ages, renowned for piety and understanding, and for their God-pleasing words and deeds. In the beginning there was one who rose up against us, the author of evil, the serpent, who dragged us into the abyss. Many reasons impelled him to rise up against us, and there are many ways by which he enslaved our nature, envy, 
rivalry, hatred, injustice, treachery, slyness, etc. In addition to all this, he also has within him the power of bringing death, which he himself engendered, being the first to fall away from true life. The author of evil was jealous of Adam, when he saw him being led from earth to heaven, from which he was justly cast down. Filled with envy, he pounced upon Adam with a terrible ferocity, and even wished to clothe him with the garb of death. Envy is not only the begetter of hatred, but also of murder, which this truly man-hating serpent brought about in us. For he wanted to be master over the earth-born, for the ruin of that which was created in the image and likeness of God. Since he was not bold enough to make a face-to-face -face attack, he resorted to cunning and deceit. This truly terrible and malicious plotter pretended to be a friend and useful adviser by assuming the physical form of a serpent, and stealthily took their position. By his God-opposing advice, he instills in man his own death-bearing power, like a venomous poison. If Adam had been sufficiently strong to keep the divine commandment, then he would have shown himself the vanquisher of his enemy and withstood his deathly attack. But since he voluntarily gave in to sin, he was defeated and made a sinner. Since he is the root of our race, he has produced us as death-bearing shoots. So it was necessary for us, if he were to fight back against his defeat and to claim victory, to rid himself of the death-bearing venomous poison in his soul and body, and to absorb life, eternal and indestructible life. It was necessary for us to have a new root for our race, a new Adam, not just one who would be sinless and invincible, but one who also would be able to forgive sins and set free from punishment those subject to it. And not only would he have life in himself, but also the capacity to restore to life, so that he could grant to those who cleave to him and are related to him by race both life and the forgiveness of their sins, restoring to life not only those who came after him, but also those who already had died before him. Therefore St. Paul, that great trumpet of the Holy Spirit, exclaims, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 Except for God, there is one who is without sin, or life-creating, or able to remit sin. Therefore, the new Adam must be not only man, but also God. He is, at the same time, life, wisdom, truth, love, and mercy, and every other good thing, so that he might renew the old Adam and restore him to life through mercy, wisdom, and righteousness. These are the opposites of the things which the author of evil used to bring about our aging and death. As the slayer of mankind raised himself against us with envy and hatred, so the source of life was lifted up on the cross because of his immeasurable goodness and love for mankind. 
he intensely desired the salvation of his creature, i.e. that his creature would be restored by himself. In contrast to this, the author of evil wanted to bring God's creature to ruin, and thereby put mankind under his own power, and tyrannically to afflict us. And just as he achieved the conquest and the fall of mankind by means of injustice and cunning, by deceit and his trickery, so has the liberator brought about the defeat of the author of evil and the restoration of his own creature with truth, justice, and wisdom. It was a deed of perfect justice that our nature, which was voluntarily enslaved and struck down, should again enter the struggle for victory and cast off its voluntary enslavement. Therefore God deigned to receive our nature from us, hypostatically uniting with it in a marvelous way. But it was impossible to unite that most high nature, whose purity and incomprehensible for human reason to, to a sinful nature before it had been purified. Therefore, for the conception and birth of the bestower of purity, a perfectly spotless and most pure virgin was required. Today we celebrate the memory of those things that contributed, if only once, to the Incarnation. He who is God by nature, the co-unoriginate and co-eternal Word and Son of the Transcendent Father, becomes the Son of Man, the Son of the Ever-Virgin. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrew 13.8. Immutable in his divinity and blameless in his humanity, he alone, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied, practiced no iniquity nor deceit with his lips. Isaiah 53.9. He alone was not brought forth in iniquity, nor was he conceived in sin in contrast to what the prophet David says concerning himself and every other man. Even in what he assumes, he is perfectly pure and has no need to be cleansed himself, but for our sake he accepted purification, suffering, death, and resurrection, that he might transmit them to us. God is born of the spotless and holy virgin, or better to say, the most pure and all-holy virgin. She is above every fleshly defilement, and even above every impure thought. Her conceiving resulted not from fleshly lust, but by the overshadowing of the most holy spirit. Such desire being utterly alien to her. It is through prayer and spiritual readiness that she declared to the angel, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and that she conceived and gave birth. So in order to render the virgin worthy of this sublime purpose, God marked this ever-virgin daughter, now praised by us, from before the ages and from eternity, choosing her from out of his elect. Turn your attention, then, to where this choice began. From the sons of Adam, God chose the wondrous Seth, who showed himself a living heaven through his becoming behavior and through the beauty of his virtues. That is why he was chosen, and from whom the virgin would blossom as the divinely fitting chariot of God. 
She was needed to give birth and to summon the earthborn to heavenly sonship. For this reason, also all the lineage of Seth were called sons of God, because from this lineage a son of man would be born the son of God. The name Seth signifies a rising or resurrection, or more specifically, it signifies the Lord, who promises and gives immortal life to all who believe in him. And how precisely exact is this parallel? Seth was born of Eve, she, as she herself said in place of Abel, whom Cain killed through jealousy, Genesis 4.25. And Christ, the son of the virgin, was born for us in place of Adam, whom the author of evil also killed through jealousy. But Seth did not resurrect Abel, since he was only a foretype of the resurrection. But our Lord Jesus Christ resurrected Adam, since he is the very life and the resurrection of the earthborn, for whose sake the descendants of Seth are granted divine adoption through hope, and are called the children of God. It was because of this hope that they were called sons of God, as is evident from the one who was first called so, the successor in the choice. This was Enos, the son of Seth, who, as Moses wrote, first hoped to call on the name of the Lord. Genesis 4.26 In this manner, the choices of the future mother of God, beginning with the very sons of Adam and proceeding through all the generations of time through the providence of God, passes to the prophet King David and the successors of his kingdom and lineage. When the chosen time had come, then from the house and posterity of David, Jehoiachin and Anna are chosen by God. Though they were childless, they were by their virtuous life and good disposition the finest of all those descended from the line of David. And when in prayer they besought God to deliver them from their childlessness and promised to dedicate their child to God from its infancy, by God himself, the mother of God, was proclaimed and given to them as a child, so that from such virtuous parents the all-virtuous child would be raised. So in this manner, chastity joined with prayer came to fruition by producing the mother of virginity, giving birth in the flesh to him who was born of God, the father before the ages. Now when righteous Jehoiachim and Anna saw that they had been granted their wish and that the divine promise to them was realized in fact, that they lay that they, on their part, as true lovers of God, hastened to fulfill their vow given to God as soon as the child had been weaned from milk. They have now led this truly sanctified child of God, now the mother of God, this virgin, into the temple of God. And she, being filled with divine gifts, even at such a tender age, she, rather than others, determined what was being done over her, in her manner she showed that she was not so much presented into the temple, but that she herself entered into the service of God of her own accord, as if she had wings, striving towards the sacred and divine love. She considered it desirable and fitting that she should enter into the temple and dwell in the Holy of Holies. Therefore the high priest, seeing that this child more than anyone else had divine grace within her, 
wished to set her within the Holy of Holies, he convinced everyone present to welcome this, since God had advanced it and approved it. Through his angel, God assisted the Virgin and sent her mystical food, which, with which she was strengthened in nature, while in body she was brought to maturity and was made pure and more exalted than the angels, having the heavenly spirits as servants. She was led into the Holy of Holies not just once, but was accepted by God to dwell there with him during her youth, so that through her the heavenly abodes might be opened and given for an eternal habitation to those who believe in her miraculous birth-giving. So it is, and this is why she, from the beginning of time, was chosen from among the chosen, she who is manifest as the Holy of Holies, who has a body even purer than the spirits purified by virtue, is capable of receiving the hypostatic word of the unoriginate Father, today the ever-Virgin Mary, like a treasure of God, is stored in the Holy of Holies, so that in due time, as it later came to pass, she would serve for the enrichment of and an adornment for all the world. Therefore Christ God also glorifies his mother, both before birth and also after birth. We who understand the salvation begun for our sake through the Most Holy Virgin give her thanks and praise according to our ability. And truly, if the grateful woman of whom the Gospel tells us, after hearing the saving words of the Lord, blessed and thanked his mother, raising her voice above the din of the crowd and saying to Christ, Blessed is the womb that bore thee, and perhaps thou hast sucked. Then we who have the words of eternal life written out for us, and not only the words, but also the miracles and the passion and the raising of our nature from death and its ascent from earth to heaven, and the promise of immortal life and unfailing salvation, then how shall we not unceasingly hymn and bless the mother of the author of our salvation and the giver of life, celebrating her conception and birth, and now her entry into the Holy of Holies? Now, brethren, let us remove ourselves from earthly to celestial things. Let us change our path from the flesh to the spirit. Let us change our desire from temporal things to those that endure. Let us scorn fleshly delights, which serve as allurements for the soul and soon pass away. Let us desire spiritual gifts, which remain undiminished. Let us turn our reason and our attention from earthly concerns and raise them to the inaccessible places of heaven, to the Holy of Holies, where the Mother of God now resides. Therefore, in such manner, our songs and prayers to her will gain entry, and thus through her meditation we shall be heirs of the everlasting blessings to come, through the grace and love for mankind of him who was born of her for our sake, our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, honor, and worship, together with his unoriginate Father and his co-eternal and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.